This morning, I would like to start what might end up developing into a short series of studies on a topic that we are all um, aware of and very likely, hopefully, uh, all in agreement on. And the topic is this. We are called as God's people, as God's children, as those who are truly born again, we are called, we are commanded to emulate God's love. That is to love one another, to love the brethren as God loves us. Loving one another as God loves us, as the Apostle John clearly teaches, is a a key evidence of our salvation. It demonstrates, it shows, it displays that we are truly born again, that we that we don't just claim to be born again, but that we are truly born again, that we have a true relationship with Jesus, that Jesus recognizes our relationship with him. John teaches that it defines us as Christians. Now, let me give you what will be this morning's key verses. I've got two verses for you. And these verses support these statements that I've made. They're not the only verses in Scripture that do, but they're big ones. They're powerful ones, and that's why I chose them. The first one is in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34. Now, this is the Apostle John writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, quoting the Lord Jesus himself. And this is what it says. John 13, 34. He says, A new commandment I give to you. So this is a commandment from the Lord. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And then he goes on to describe what that love is and what it looks like. That you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. So this is clearly a commandment. Now the second verse I've chosen comes from the letters of John, the first letter of John, chapter 4, verse 8. And again, the Apostle John writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, anyone, and let me pause there for just a moment and explain this word, anyone, briefly. What it means is is that there are no exceptions. This relates to every single person, every single situation, every single relationship, every circumstance. There are no exceptions to what John is about to say. Just understand that when we read this word, anyone. Okay? So he says, anyone who does not love does not know God because... God is love. So here John is is telling us this love for one another, love to love one another as Christ loves us is what defines us as Christians. 
So we're called to love one another as Christ loves each one of us to the point that if we don't, if that's missing from our lives, that is evidence that we're not truly born again. Regardless of what we say, that's the evidence that we're not truly born again. Now, in order to do this, in order to love one another as Christ loves us, uh, in order to even understand what it means, what it looks like in our day-to-day lives, we must first have a true understanding, an accurate understanding of what love is. See, not what we think it is, Not what we want it to be or think it should be. Not what we, not what makes us comfortable. Not what we choose to do to express love, etc., etc. But what it means to God. We must have a true understanding of God's definition of love. We must have a true understanding of God's intention as to how we are to express this love to one another. That's what counts. That's what's important. It's more than important. It's critical. We don't want to misunderstand. We don't want to miss anything when it comes to obeying this command. Let me repeat for you 1 John 4.8. Anyone... No exceptions. None. Anyone who does not love does not know God is not truly born again because God is love. So you see, we cannot, as true believers, we cannot walk through our lives expressing our perception or our idea or definition of love and think that we're obeying God's command. That is all too often what happens in many Christian circles today. Believers will read this command. Okay, They read it, they embrace it. I agree with it. They read it, they embrace it. They agree to love one another, but they do so out of context, out of context of Scripture. They don't pay attention to God's meaning of love. They don't love the way God intends them to love. They love one another according to their own definition of love. They love the way they want to love. They love who they want to love. They love when they want to love. Well, this, in essence, is nothing but a false claim of loving one another, of saying, yes, I understand this command, and I abide by it, I do love the brethren, but in reality, not at all. This is certainly not the love that God has for us, that God has shown us. And it's not the love to which God has called us to express to one another. It's all too often a worldly, a natural, a human type of love, which is a love that primarily, if not exclusively, seeks to gratify oneself. 
Now, the net result of this is that they do the exact opposite of, or at very least, something different from what God has actually commanded. All the while convincing themselves that they are obeying God's command. Well, let me just say this this morning, my brothers and sisters, we don't want to fall into that category. We do not want to fall into that category. Once again, let me repeat to you, 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, in the passages that I've cited this morning, the word love translates the Greek word or a variation or derivative of the Greek word agape. Now, all of us here this morning, we're most likely familiar with this Greek word. And most likely, we all have at least a fundamental understanding of what it means. We've talked about it in this church many, many times before. We've defined it before. We've studied it before. But here's the thing. Having a good, solid, accurate understanding of this word is so critical to our truly obeying this command to love one another as Christ loves us that I want to begin and spend some good time here this morning clearly defining agape. So that's what the focus of this morning's study is going to be. I know that, like I said, many of us are familiar with this word, know what it means. So for some of us, maybe for all of us, maybe it will only be a reminder. That's not a bad thing. But maybe you'll learn something that you didn't know before. So Let's dig into this word together. I want to lay a foundation of an accurate understanding of agape for us. And doing that, having an accurate understanding of agape, will do two things. Well, at least two things. Hopefully, Lord willing, it'll do two things for us this morning. Number one, it will move us in the direction of accurately understanding God's own nature and how he loves us, what, what that means, that he loves us, that's an important thing. And then second, it will move us in the direction of accurately understanding the essence of this command to love one another the same way. So let's together dig in and develop our understanding, a greater understanding of this word, this concept, agape. And I want to begin in one of the letters of John, 1 John, 1 John 3.16. Here's what the apostle says. 1 John 3.16. He says, by this we know love, that he, the Lord Jesus, laid down his life for us. So John, John lays it all out right there. You want to understand agape? Here it is. He laid down his life for us. And then he goes on to say, and we ought to lay down our lives 
for the brothers, for one another, for the brethren. So in the first part of this verse, the apostle really crystallizes the definition of love, of agape. He establishes one of the most important principles really in all of scripture. First, what is this love that that he himself states is the very essence of God? Remember what he says in 1 John 4, 8. God is love. Second, what is this love to which we are all called to express to one another? Remember, Gospel of John 13, 34. Lord Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then third, what is this love that identifies us? It defines us as Christians, as true believers. It's empirical, it's observable. You can say whatever you want, but we can determine if we are true believers or not. And remember, 1 John 4, 8, anyone no exceptions. Anyone who does not love doesn't even know God, is not a true believer. So what does this love look like? I mean in terms that we can really, really understand. Well, what the apostle does here, to define it, he turns to the first and greatest example of agape in all of history. And this example is, of course, the Lord Jesus and him crucified. By this we know love. By this we can understand love. By this we can see love. By this love is demonstrated to us that he laid down his life for us. John chose the most effective way to define agape. Really and truly the only way to define agape. And notice here that he doesn't give detailed instruction how to express agape to one another, although there are many details regarding how to love one another, important details that we need to understand. But John doesn't choose to go over those at this point. Notice that he doesn't try to explain the many facets and details of this love, although there are many facets and many details of agape, which we're responsible to dig into, to find, to understand, and to know. See, John understands that at this point, any explanation that he might give, it would simply fall short. So instead, what he does is he defines love, he teaches us how to love by way of the ultimate example of love. Jesus Christ having laid down his life for each one of us. This is the single greatest display of love, of agape, in all of history. It's our paradigm. It is our our example, our pattern for our own expressions of loving one another. Are you loving the brethren? Look to Christ and Him crucified. Look to Him giving His life for you 
and for me and for each one of us. Is that what you're doing? Yes, then yes, you're loving the brethren. No, then no, you're not. You see, agape is not just something that God does, although God does agape. But it's not just something that he does. See, agape originates from God's very nature. It defines his nature, and his nature defines it. You see, God is agape. John's declaration that God is love, three short words, God is love. This is a doctrinal statement. And it's one of the most important doctrinal statements in the entire Bible. It's one of the verses that defines God for us. Do you want to understand who and what God is? God is love. Now, it's not the only verse, and it's not the full definition of who and what God is. That's a mistake. That's an error. And it's an error that many people make. Oh, God is love. That's the sum total of God. It's not the sum total of God, is it? God is also holy, isn't he? God is also righteous. He's also glorious. He's also all-powerful. And let's not forget, God is also just. But... Love is an important, a critical, and an essential part of God's nature. I'm absolutely convinced of this, and I say this with great confidence. We will never, ever know and understand who God is without understanding his nature as agape love. Now, because agape originates from God's very nature, it's fundamentally different from any other type of love, from any natural, human, worldly form of love. Natural love, human, earthly love, has self-gratification as its primary if not its exclusive, motivation. It originates in common interests, in common likes, in common dislikes, in shared opinions, shared viewpoints, etc., etc. Natural love flourishes between those who are naturally drawn together. And you know how that is, don't you? You meet somebody and you're just naturally drawn to that person. You have, you have shared um, interests, shared likes and dislikes. You just, you just naturally get along. And then there's others that the exact opposite. You just, it do, just doesn't click, right? Well, this type of love, this, this, this earthly, this natural love, it's, it's not necessarily sinful. It's not inherently evil. It just simply is not agape. It's not the love that John is describing when he says God is love. It's not the love to which Jesus is calling us 
when he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. This is a critically important distinction to make between these types of love. Because if we apply one where the other should be applied, we're in error. So this this natural love, regardless of how unselfish it might appear, and at times it does and can appear to be very, very unselfish, but regardless of how it might appear, its motivation is self-gratification. In one way or another, to one degree or another, at one level or another, this natural love, it says, I'll love you for what I will receive for loving you. I'll love you for how it makes me feel. I will love you if and when loving you makes me feel the way I want to feel. And it says, I will stop loving you when I stop receiving what I want to receive out of the relationship. This is not the love to which God loves us. Not not by a long shot. And this is not the love with which God has commanded us to love one another. God has called us to agape, to the love that he has shown to us. And agape is very, very different from what I've just been describing. It's very different. It's a special kind of love. It's not natural. It's not human. It's not a worldly love. It is, and I want to preface this before I use this word, I'm using this word in the the absolute accurate sense and definition of this word. This word is overused and misused so much that I want to explain it before I say this about agape. Agape is unique. There's nothing like agape. No other love is like agape. It is one of a kind. It's unique. It's spiritual in nature. And it greatly exceeds all forms of natural love. Remember, agape originates from God himself. It comes directly from God. It's his nature. It's agape that sent Jesus into the world and to the cross. And it's exactly why John chooses to define agape in this way. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. So let me say this. To express agape is to be entirely concerned about the other person, not yourself. That's a key statement in understanding agape. To express agape is to be entirely concerned about the other person, not yourself. It's the love that Jesus had for us in going to the cross. Now, going to the cross was definitely 
an expression of agape. But it was not only an expression, it was actually much more than an expression of agape. It was the very essence of agape love. One could say that Jesus going to the cross, Jesus giving his life for us, was agape personified. Therefore, it is the ultimate definition of agape. The perfect starting point, really the only starting point, to gain a greater understanding of how we are to express agape, how we are to love one another. Jesus was entirely concerned for us when he went to the cross. So to express agape, to love one another the way we've been commanded to, to express agape is to sacrifice yourself entirely for the sake of the other person in whatever situation you are in. Now, I've addressed several aspects of of God's love, of agape here. We've talked about agape is God's own nature. It defines his nature, and his nature defines it. I said that it's a unique love, one of a kind. It's unlike any other love or form of love that exists. It's a spiritual love, unlike anything that is human or natural. And it is entirely self-sacrificial. Its motivation is entirely for the benefit of the other person. Now, we are working our way towards gaining a greater understanding of how all of this relates to our responsibility to love one another as Christ loves us. And in order to accomplish this, I want to address one more aspect of God's love, of agape. And that is this, that God is the exclusive source of agape. Remember John states, 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. God is agape. His very nature and essence is agape. We're all clear on that, right? Well, since God is unique, is there any being anywhere in all of existence that is like God? No. Since God is unique, agape is unique. There's no other love like agape, and there is no other source of agape. God is the exclusive originator of agape, the exclusive source. So, in order to have agape, in order to express agape, as we've been commanded to do, we must know its source. We must know God. Okay? Once again, you're going to have this verse memorized by the time we're, we're finished this morning. 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we must know God. And I think that we're all clear on this, but I just want to make sure 
So I'll say it. We're talking about more than a a casual knowing God. We're talking about more than knowing about God. We must know God in what we call a saving way. We must dwell in the source of agape, in God. And the source, God, must dwell within us. Okay? We must be, in a word, we must be born again. So what this means is, is that agape love is exclusive. It's an exclusive love. It's exclusive to God's children, to those who are born again. Because it originates from God, it's only those who are in Christ who are even capable of expressing agape. Therefore, it's not unreasonable to expect this love from children of God, from those who are truly born again. No more than expecting a child to physically resemble his parents. Does that catch anyone off guard? Does that surprise anyone when a child resembles his parents? No, of course not. It's, it's expected. It's anticipated. And it's the same thing with agape. And this is how and why loving one another as Christ loves us is a command. In fact, it's an essential evidence of abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in you. The Apostle John goes so far as to say that if this essential evidence of Christianity is missing from your life, if you do not love the brethren as Christ loves you, if this is missing from your life, what John says is you're not truly born again. You might say you are. You might even think you are. You might have yourself and others around you convinced that you are. But if this evidence is missing from your life, you're not even truly born again. Now, let me, let me clarify. Let me make sure no one misunderstands what I'm, what I'm saying here or what John has said. He's not talking about individual failures or moments of weakness. We all know how that feels, right? I mean, you've had circumstances, situations in your life when you have responded to a brother or sister in the Lord in an unkind way, Right? Right? We've all experienced that, right? When we have had an opportunity to express agape, but we haven't, we've done the exact opposite. We've all experienced that, right? Right? <laughs> okay. That's not what John's talking about. Okay. He's talking about this evidence being completely missing from your life. If that is not part of who and what you are, then you're not Christian. You're not. And, hey, that's the Apostle John saying that. I'm not making that up, right? So, claiming to have agape love for one another, like claiming to have a relationship with Jesus, it can be a false claim. You see, the evidence is not in the proclamation, but in the deeds that either support or refute the claim. I can walk around saying, oh, I love the brethren. I love the brethren as God commands me to. Okay? That's not the evidence. The evidence is in the deeds 
that I do, in how I actually love the brethren. So since Jesus loved us with this love, we are to love one another with this same love. It identifies us as knowing God in that saving way. It identifies us as having experienced the new birth. And this is, as the Apostle John teaches, it's a trustworthy test of true salvation. I'm trying to emphasize the importance of this. The importance of understanding agape and understanding that this is an essential part of who and what true believers are. So the evidence of genuine, not just proclaimed agape, is in actions toward one another that emulate the Lord's actions towards us. Okay? These actions testify that you abide in him and that he abides in you. All right, so how do we do this? I mean, how can we possibly love the way God loves? How can we do this? How can we love, I mean, ask yourself this, how can I love with absolutely no concern for myself in the love that I express to others? How can I do this? It's just not natural, right? It just doesn't come naturally. Well, that's the point. That is the very point of agape. It doesn't come naturally. And you can't, and I can't. You see, when we are born again, when we are truly born again, at that moment in time, we begin to abide in God. And God begins to abide in us. 1 John 2.24. 1 John 2.24. He says, Let what you heard from the beginning, the truth of the gospel, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If... And here's a conditional statement. If what you heard from the beginning, the truth of the gospel, abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. When we are truly born again, immediately at that moment in time, we begin to abide in God and God begins to abide in us. And you see, it's God's spirit within us who gives us the ability to love in this way, to agape. It's his nature. He's abiding in us, giving us that ability. But here's the thing, and this is just the the glory and the magnificence of God. I mean, yeah. He gives us more than just the ability. He gives us the ability, but much, much more. God's spirit within us gives us the very love that we are to express to one another, the very substance. So he gives us the ability and the substance. You see, prior to being born again, 
we didn't have this love to give. It just simply wasn't within us. So he gives us at that moment of salvation, he gives us the ability and the substance. So he gives us the love to share with one another, the love with which to express to one another, and he gives us the ability to express it. So let's, let's develop this a little bit. God's very nature is love, is agape. And so his love flows from him. It's constantly flowing from him. And he abides in us. So as he abides in us, this agape is constantly flowing from him into us. God dwelling within us fills us with agape. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Romans 5, 5. It says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, who dwells within us. When we're born again, the Holy Spirit is given to us. He takes up residence in us and immediately begins pouring God's love into our hearts. And a careful examination of this word poured, uh, in the original language, it tells us that it doesn't mean that he pours until we're full and then he stops. It, it's, it's, a, it's just an upending of a vessel that's full. And it just continues to pour unendingly. So we have become reservoirs of agape. Okay? Now, imagine this. Imagine a river flowing into a reservoir. A river flowing into a reservoir. What would happen? Well, eventually, the water would fill up the reservoir and then overflow the reservoir, right? I mean, we've got an infinite supply of water. The river just keeps on coming, right? And a finite reservoir. So that reservoir would eventually overflow and continue to overflow. Well, God's love is like that. By design, it's not meant just to fill us, but to fill us and to overflow us onto one another. So we are, as reservoirs, we're not meant just to be full, right? To be filled with God's love and then go, oh, this is great. This just feels wonderful. I love being full of God's love. We're meant to do that, but not just that. We are meant to overflow. We're meant to be reservoirs that are constantly overflowing, constantly being filled and constantly overflowing. And even as we are filled and then begin to overflow, the source just continues to pour into us. It never, ever stops. There's literally no possibility of ever running out of or even running low on agape. 
You never need to worry about loving one another too much. You're never going to run out of God's love. You're never going to, going to, you're never going to be able to outlove God. This is how we are able to love one another as God loves us. Because you see, we are given the ability to love this way, and we are given the substance with which we are to love. See, it's all given to us. It doesn't depend on us. It's not us, but God dwelling within us. Now, by, by contrast, those who are not born of God, they're simply incapable of loving this way. They don't have the capability of love, and they don't have the substance. They don't have the love itself. It's just impossible. Absolutely impossible. Because they don't have the source. But we do. And this is the, this is the key. We do. And so now, we are responsible to love one another in this way. Remember, it's a command. The Lord has commanded us to do this. First, he gives us the the love. Then he gives us the ability. Then the command. So we are responsible to do this. John 13, 34. The Lord Jesus speaking. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Whenever you meet somebody that you are naturally drawn to, I command you to love him. That's not what it says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. He loved us when we didn't love him. He loved us when we hated him. With every fiber of our being, we hated him. All we ever expressed to him was hatred. And he loved us. That's how we are to love one another. See, prior to our salvation, we were unable to love this way because we didn't possess the ability or the substance, the actual love. It just wasn't there. But through God's grace, through God's mercy in our lives, we now possess both. So we're commanded to love one another just as Christ loves us. And here's what we need to know. We're absolutely able to love one another in this way. We are able to, regardless of what you think, regardless of how you feel, or how you feel maybe about one individual person. We are absolutely able to love one another just as Christ loves us. And here's why. Because it's God, it's not us, who is the source and the substance. It's not us. It's not natural. It doesn't come naturally. And it's not within it. Well, now it's within us. But I mean, it's not naturally within us. It's not us. It's God within us. So here's the thing. As, as believers, because we're all, we're all individuals, we're all different, right? So where 
we are weak in this, okay? Some of us here in this room today, some of us might be weak in this. So what do we do? We are to increase. If we have somehow, some way, for some reason, if we have dammed up the reservoir of love from overflowing, then break down the dam, man. Break it down. Let the love flow. Let us love one another. And, you know, some of us might be, might be strong in this. So do we just say, well, well, I'm good. Thanks, but I'm good. No, where we are strong in this, we're to increase even more. Remember, it's an unending supply. The more you give, the more he'll pour into you. So if our reservoir is indeed overflowing, well, open the floodgate even more. Kick down any obstacles. Love even more. This I know. None of us will ever, ever reach the point where we have matched Jesus' love for us in our expression of loving one another. Does that make sense? So every single one of us, wherever we are on this scale, we need to be constantly crying out that the Lord will give us the grace to love the brethren more than we are right now. So this, this love, agape, it comes from God. And so if we are truly from God, if we are truly born again, we must, we will express this love to one another. Praise God. Now, like I said before, we're all, we're all different. There are many, many different and varying ways of actually, practically, uh, empirically, observably expressing agape to one another. Would you agree? I mean, you know, just an unending series of, of, of situations. Well, so what are those ways and what do they look like? And I would love to just keep going and, and develop more and more and more the, the specifics, the, the individual ways, examples. But I'm out of time. So in future studies, my hope is to develop in more specific and practical ways the application of these principles that we've talked about and studied here this morning. More specific and practical ways of expressing agape to one another, of loving one another as Christ loves us. So I hope that maybe you have a a little bit better understanding of agape, of what it means to love one another as Christ loves us, what it means to, to have uh, received this commandment. Um, and, you know, if, if you haven't learned anything at all here this morning, my hope is, is that maybe you've been reminded about, about something or about part of this that, uh, you know, that you've, 
maybe let slip to the back burner, anything like that. My hope is that this has been edifying to us as a body. So with that, let's pray. Father, I thank you so very, very much for loving us, for agape-ing us, for loving us even when we were your enemies, when, when the only thing we expressed to you was hatred and selfishness. I thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us when we were unable to love and we, when we didn't even possess this love, when we were unable to express this to others. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for, for taking up residence within us. Thank you, fill it. thank you for filling us with the love, with the agape. Thank you for giving us the ability to love as you've commanded us to do. Thank you for it all, Father. And now I pray that you will help us, each and every one of us, to break down any dams that we have built up. Please help us to open up the floodgates of your love that is within us to love one another as you love us. Thank you, Father, and amen.